Welcome to the Vincennes First Church of God Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Huebner. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so thankful that you've decided to tune in and listen to us today. We hope that through this message and the Word of God, you will find not only that you are challenged, but that you are encouraged. Here at Vincent's First Church, we believe that it's our job to create kingdom culture. And we hope that you'll join us Sundays at 10 o'clock. We love you and enjoy. I had uh, kind of planned this morning to finish the series that we were in called Professional Christian and then just really felt like God pulled me uh, a different direction. So though we will start uh, a new series next week in the book of Jonah, which I'm really excited about. Um, So if you feel inspired this week, you could read the book of Jonah before next week to just kind of get some background information. Uh, it's really not that long of a book, and it's, a, it's an easy read, and that's coming from somebody that doesn't read, y'all. Let's be honest. I'm not a reader, but I, I, if I can do it, you can do it. I believe in you. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Do you find yourself leaning more towards optimism or pessimism? Strangely enough, when I thought about myself, I I think that a lot of times I teeter between the two, clinging to optimism in the face of despair and then sometimes being cynical in the face of positivity, uh, which I think is basically the definition of being stubborn. Uh, But regardless of what your tendency is, I wonder what role our disposition has on our destiny. In other words, what, what... What effect does our outlook have on the outcome of our life? Does a negative or positive attitude have the power to manipulate our future or at least have the power to help us navigate what's coming? Is is this not why we meet here today? Is it not the hope of the gospel, the hope that we cling to of the one who came to overcome the world, that that God sent his son Jesus, that, that we might under all circumstances be underwhelmed and find peace, that he told us that, hey, there's gonna be trouble, but I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, not even under the weight of our sin and our stress and our circumstances, No matter what we face, we can encounter hope, hope that allows us to change our outlook, hope that makes positive possible. And maybe you're like, well, pastor, I hate to break it to you, but I'm beyond coffee, a pep talk, and a positive attitude. (laughs) Don't worry, me too. Uh, I'm exhausted, frustrated, angry, sad, in pain, for all intents and purposes, I've been discouraged, overwhelmed, and fed up. So if you're worried today that this message is going to be about positivity, don't be. Because positivity for the sake of positivity is short-sighted and fragile. Positivity is, is hopelessly trying to change the narrative through our own power. When I say the outlook determines outcome, it's not about us. Because there is not hope in our circumstances. It's about seeing beyond our circumstances. It's not about standing around the fire, holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's about standing in the fire and still being able to say hallelujah. It's not about forcing yourself to be positive. It's about trust. 
changing your focus, believing that God is good, believing that he loves you, even when your circumstances and your feelings appear to be communicating the opposite. And let's get real, guys. It's easier said than done. So how? What what does that look like? That's what we want to talk about today. How do we who are exhausted, fed up, and overwhelmed in life, how do we find hope? How do we change our outlook? If you're following along in your notes, this is the first piece. In uncontrollable times, look for unbelievable opportunities. In uncontrollable times, Look for unbelievable opportunities. I hope somebody else saw this in the news this week. <laughs> There's a story about a guy named Joey Henney, and I'm, I, I, forgive me if I'm saying that name wrong. This dude tried to go to a Phillies game in Philadelphia, and he tried to bring his support Uh, emotional support animal, and he was not allowed into the game. You know why? Because his emotional support animal was a five-foot alligator. (laughs) Do we have that picture? Look at that. It's even got emotional support written on the thing. How could you not let this adorable creature in there? Listen, if I'm at a baseball game and the guy shows up next to me with a five-foot alligator, I'm not staying. I like my ears and my limbs, like I'm trying to go home incomplete. So this guy's name, this, this is Wally, Wally the alligator. And after they refused to let him in, because the policy strictly said only dogs, not alligators, his picture and his story went viral. It said that the, the number of his Twitter friends and Instagram fans exploded. And there's an increased number of donors who heard the story about reptile rescue and, and just, it's crazy how life happens like that. And maybe Joey and Wally, they didn't get what they wanted. They just wanted to watch the Phillies play live, but they had an incredible opportunity. See, Joey and Wally had two options. They could go home sad and be like, oh man, poor us. We didn't go get to to watch the Phillies play. Or they could lean into this opportunity and say, here we've been able to receive this attention that we would have never seen before. And we're able to educate people about something that matters to us. The same mentality happens to Paul in the Bible. Here's a guy who's preaching the word of God and and he gets put in prison for it. And, And if anybody has good reason to be in a bad mood, it's Paul. He's in prison for doing what God has asked him to do. It's like, really, Lord, I'm I'm trying to serve you here. You're all powerful. Maybe like help me out or something. But instead of frustration, Paul just adapts to the situation. He goes, okay, I can't preach out there, so I'm going to preach in here. Because that's what his mission was. His mission was to preach the gospel. Now, he couldn't control where he was, but he could control the how. He could control how he spent his time. Not as sorrowful, but he takes that extra time and he chooses to use it to sit down and write letters to the church. Think about it. If, if Paul wasn't imprisoned, what would our Bible look like today? Would it be significantly thinner? Like if, if Paul didn't have this opportunity to sit down and write? I mean, I love the fact that Paul continues to do what he was imprisoned for in the first place. I want to read Philippians 1, 12 through 13. 
I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul isn't focused on what he cannot control, but he's looking for new opportunities to live out his calling. His imprisonment restricted his his normal operations, but he adapted to the opportunities at hand. Now, COVID wasn't that long ago, so you guys probably remember some of the things that happened during it. One of the things that, that drove me nuts, kind of as we were exiting the COVID experience, if you went online and you ordered something, there was like always this red little tagline that said, shipping may be uh, affected by, by COVID. And I think that it made sense at first, like we understood that, you know, sometimes things are not going to come as quickly because of the pandemic. But at what point are you like, okay, you can't blame COVID anymore for losing my package. Like, I don't know about you, but like at at some point you just kind of get tired of the excuses. And I feel like the Lord showed me that that I do the same thing in my life. That I'm I'm guilty of these overwhelming feelings or or the current obstacle I face discourage me. And I I just want to spend time finding excuses to explain to people why I cannot do what I cannot do. But instead, what if we let go of the excuses and said, you know what, what, what can we do? Maybe I can't serve in the ways that I used to, but, but are, are there any new opportunities almost to let go of what we cannot control and really ask that question, what, what is it that I can do? And I understand that it's not always that simple. Sometimes we face situations that discourage us, that stifle us. They can cause us to ask, like, what, what good can come of this, God? And lead to the thinking that, you know what, nothing, nothing I do is really going to matter anyways. And that's exactly the type of outlook that can blind you to the opportunities around you. See, Satan wants you to think that your circumstances disqualify you. Satan wants you to think that, that, that your circumstances tarnish your value. He wants to blind you from the hope and, and forget what your God is capable of to make you so dispirited that you forget that we serve a God that works all things together for good. Man, these last few weeks have been nothing if not far from ideal for me. My, my constant struggle with my back is starting to get disheartening. And though I cannot be as active more than ever, I've just tried to lean in and be patient with what God's trying to pull me through in this season. And through that, I've had a little bit more time to be with family. I've had more time to rest and read the Word of God. And I wonder at some level if God had to slow me down and, and to try to bring me healing mentally. And I'm not trying to pretend like I haven't been at my wit's end, but I'm also not buying into this idea that God can't use me right now. Prison isn't fun, but how can we make the best of it? Let's not focus on what we cannot do, rather what we can. Let's be intentional to look for opportunities that maybe we've never would have seen before because our circumstances have changed, because maybe we can't do things the way that we used to do them. Don't let what you cannot control change your outlook. Let me give you another one. In unfortunate times, give God your undivided attention. In unfortunate times, give God your undivided attention. So, 
One day when I was driving to high school, I'm sitting at a stoplight, and, and I see this woman next to me, and she has the little flapper down and the mirror out, and she's putting on mascara with one hand. She's, she's got a, a, a bottle in the other hand back around, holding it for her baby, and then she's got her head leaned like this, talking on the cell phone. And, and my, my, my first, I mean, I'm in high school, guys, so, so forgive me, but my first thought is like, this, this mom's a superhero. But my second thought was, this is not safe. Like, we may not agree on the rules of the road, but I think we can all agree that trying to do too many things at once is not a good idea. You should probably focus on driving. We may not all agree on how to focus on driving, but we, we all agree that it's important to focus on what's going on around you. It's important to focus on the road so that when it turns, you turn too. It's kind of important. That is to say that where we focus matters, and it's not just driving, but how we live our lives. Too much focus on what was in the past can keep you from what could be. Too much focus on the worst case scenario can will it into existence. Accepting who and where you are right now, and this is just who I'll always be, can inhibit your growth. Believing that, that you cannot win will bring swift defeat. Surrounding yourself with foul input can slowly rot your virtue or morals. Focusing on the wrong thing can be detrimental to your health. In fact, this is what Scripture tells us, that the eyes are windows to the soul. Luke eleven thirty four 34 says this, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of what? It's full of darkness. In a lot of ways, your focus is either on darkness or light. And depending on where you're focused, it can affect your attitude. It can affect your effort. It can affect your outlook. See, but it says if the eye is healthy, if you're focused on the right thing, then your body can be full of light. So the question is, how do we acquire a healthy eye? It seems to me that if the eye is akin to a lamp, then it needs to be lit. The question is, how do, how do we do that? What, what, what or who is the light well, Scripture tells us in John 8, 12, I am what? The light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness. I want to read that one more time. I don't want you to miss it. If you follow me, if you follow Jesus, you will not have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. If you follow me, you don't have to to walk in darkness. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Why? Because he is the light in that dark valley. It's not to say that we won't be surrounded by darkness, but as long as we are with him, as long as we are following him, his light protects us. Not because his light eliminates all the darkness in our lives, but rather it illuminates and shows us hope and reminds us that even in the midst of our struggle, he who has overcome the world is not far 
off. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can change your perspective. How? Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one is prayer. Because I think prayer is central to to all that we are and all that we do. Prayer doesn't change our circumstances, but it does help us navigate life better. It's a place of surrender. surrender. It's a place where we remember who God is. It's a place we remember who we are not. And it's not necessarily a method to fix our problems, but it gives them to somebody who can do something with our problems. A place of humility where we exalt God over self. To me, I think the the story of Daniel is so powerful. This guy who had to face so many things, like the the den of lions, because he refused, even in foreign land, to, to bow down to foreign gods. And his commitment to kneel consistently before the king of kings, and that's inevitably what saved him. When was the last time you kneeled before God? When was the last time you actually paused, got down on your knees, and kneeled before the King of Kings. Because I believe that there is incredible power in what we communicate when we kneel. More than than our words through kneeling, we, we bow our hearts and we submit to He who we call Lord. Guys, all prayer is useful. Don't hear me wrong. But sometimes you need to understand that it's less about the words that you say and more about the posture that you take. Scripture describes two different men, one who stands and speaks out loud on the street corner and one who kneels before God and beats his chest, believing that he's not even worthy to look up. It wasn't just his words, but it was his spirit that yielded before God. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't know what to say, which is outrageous, because sometimes you just got to get on your knees and be silent. Because the only necessary thing in prayer is a heart and a spirit that is yielded and surrendered to the Lord of Lords. Another thing we can do is to know and memorize the promises of God. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, he finds victory He finds victory by fighting Satan's lies with the truth of God's word. I'll be honest with you guys, we cannot fight with weapons we don't have. I've been so encouraged this week. Uh, Steph has been trying to take Malin through, trying to do these ABC memorization prayers so that each letter of the alphabet starts with a different letter of a a verse that they're trying to, to memorize. And I just think that it's so cool. I, I, I just, sometimes I, I don't know that we always appreciate and think about the power of passing down scripture. But, but, but let's be honest, like this world that our kids are growing up with is, is a crazy, crazy world. But what better tools to give our children to fight the influence of Satan than the one thing that can fight and decimate his lies than knowing the truth of God's word. So that when you're feeling alone, you can cling to this idea that let us not neglect to meet together, but encourage one another. What better thing to cling to than my God will never leave me or forsake me. When you're feeling defeated, to cling to this word, to take heart because he has overcome the world. To cling to this idea that we are more than conquerors. When we're feeling tempted 
No temptation can come against me other than what is common to man. And Christ is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. And when I am tempted, he will show up so I can stand up under it. When I'm feeling unloved, Christ shows his love for us. And while we were sinners, he died for us. When we're feeling stained or broken, if we are faithful to confess, he is faithful to forgive When we're feeling hungry, man doesn't live by bread alone. If he feeds and cares for the sparrows, don't you understand that God loves you more than that? When you're feeling worthless, Psalm 139, 14, I will offer you a grateful heart for I am your unique creation filled with wonder and awe. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. Guys, I have to cling to this verse so many times in my life because through my childhood and through my adulthood, I've always tried to spin this narrative that I have no value because I have nothing to offer the world. What load of garbage that is because Christ tells me differently. But if you don't know that, you can't claim it. I'm reminded by this verse that my value is not in who I am. My value is in whom I belong to. When times get hard, look to God. Let him be your strength. Let him be your hope. Get your eyes off the problem, out of the dark, and turn your eyes to Jesus. Focus on his light. Focus on his word. Give him your undivided attention, and you too will be full of what? Full of light. When life is unfortunate, give God your undivided attention. Let me give you one more. In uncertain times, cling to an unshakable faith. In uncertain times, cling to an unshakable faith. Unshakable faith. Does that sound a little bit disgenuous to you? It did to me at first. But when I say that, what I mean is a faith that is firm no matter what. A faith that clings to Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. A strong will that in all circumstances says, listen, I feel terrible, but I'm going to trust God. In the face of a rebellious culture, to be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the face of death and compromise, like Shadrach say, our God has the power to save us, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow down and worship you. In the face of excommunication, will we be like Esther and say, I will go before the king for my people, even if I'm walking to my death. In the face of despair and loss, to be like Job, to say, even though he slay me, still will I hope in him. Sometimes we do ourselves disservice by reading the Bible in hindsight. We cling to the happy ending, forgetting what it took to get there. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever promise the path is going to be free of hardship. But it's important for us not to forget where that hardship is leading. Because at worst case scenario, all of the troubles, what? They make us long for heaven. There's a comedian that I love, and and part of the reason I love him is because he's fairly clean, and sometimes that's hard to find in the world today. The guy by the name of Brian Regan, and he, he does this sketch about playing in Little League and joking about he didn't really so much care for playing in Little League, but he loved the snow cone at the end of the game. And it didn't even matter if he played half a game or a whole game, he still got a whole snow cone. So he's like, listen, I'd rather play half a game. 
because I still get the whole snow cone. It didn't matter if he didn't play the whole game. It didn't matter if they won. Why? Because he knew he was going to get a snow cone after the game. And I'm not trying to compare heaven to a snow cone, but it's good to remind ourselves every now and then what we're fighting for, what we're playing for. It's good to be, be reminded that our hope is not here. This is not our home. And maybe faith isn't just about meeting death with peace, but facing life with anticipation. Philippians 1.19 says this, Yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It may seem bad now, but I rejoice because everything in my life, everything that I face, everything is leading to something. And for me who stands on the word of Jesus Christ, it's leading to my deliverance. You know, what if God's idea of, of, of prospering us is different than ours? What if we have to let go of our own plans to accept what the Lord is trying to hand us? What if the plans of God aren't physical but spiritual? What if God's ultimate plan is to make us more like him? And sometimes that's a hard process because he's got to deal with some stuff in us. And there's some things that, that have to go. What if God's plan is not about what we do but about who we become? What if his plan for good, what if his plan for hope is coming as a direct result of our relationship with his son? And what if our current struggle is an opportunity for his kingdom to be seen inside of us? Jesus knew what had to be done before he came, and he came anyways, and he was preparing to sacrifice his life on earth so that we can have life in the next. Is it possible that sometimes we become so focused on the moment, too focused on what our struggles are and the things that we wade through that we lose sight of our eternal victory? What if God sacrificed our happiness now so that we could have joy forever? Is it possible that a God who sees all things found more value in preparing us for the next life rather than fixing our current temporary one? And I'm not saying that to say that God doesn't care for the here and now or that God's not concerned about your current struggle. Rather, in preparing you for heaven, he transforms us to be more like him. But I promise you, he will give you what you need to preserve today. I have Charlie and the band come back up and they're going to lead us in a song called Oceans. Some of the lyrics to the songs, call me on the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. There I find you in the mystery and oceans deep, my faith will stand. I, I love this verse. Your grace abounds in the deepest of waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide where my feet may fail and my fear surrounds me. You've never failed and you won't start now. I want to close with this verse. Sometimes in life we hear the right thing at the right time. And I was driving this week somewhere and K-Love had this thing come on and they just read a scripture verse and this is the scripture verse that they read and it's exactly what I needed to hear. 
a scripture verse that might be familiar to many of you, Isaiah 40, 30 through 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk, but they will not faint. What does it say? Those who wait on their circumstances to change? No. Those that wait on the Lord. We are setting ourselves up for a long day, a long process, a long year, if we are sitting here waiting, hoping for God to change everything that's going wrong in our lives. And maybe what God is trying to communicate is that there is nothing here for you. Let go of it and wait on me. I'm the prize. One day we're going to step into eternity. Not only are we going to see Jesus and be happy, but we're going to see Jesus and we're going to see the piece of us that's been missing all this time. And we will finally be whole again. That can't happen here. But we do have hope in what we face. So we who wait on the Lord, we're not waiting for something to show up and change our circumstances. We're hoping in Jesus Christ, knowing that he's got us. He's going to take care of us. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your struggle is today, but I'm here to remind you what I've been reminded this week, that God is still alive. He is still on the throne. He is still good, and he still loves you. Today's an opportunity. Whether you need to come up front and kneel at the altars, whether you need to stand up, turn around, and kneel where you are, Today's an opportunity to say, you know what, God, I give up. I'm done. I'm tired of, do, tired of doing this out of my own power. And say, you know what? I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to look to you. I'm ready to trust you. Please don't miss out on an opportunity to respond today.